The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I am Melinda Hamilgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Jennifer Emond. She is an assistant professor in the departments of biomedical data science and pediatrics with the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth College. She holds a doctoral degree in public health and health behavior from the University of California, San Diego, and a master's degree in statistics from the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Dr. Eamon's research includes multiple studies examining the characteristics of child-directed food marketing, as well as the potential impacts of children's exposure to food marketing on their food preferences, dietary intake, and weight gain. She has collaborated on several National Institutes of Health-funded grants and is currently the recipient of an NIH grant to examine screen media use during early childhood and related obesity risk. I read her report that it most recently was published in Pediatrics, which is the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The title is The Promotion of Meal Premiums in Child-Directed TV Advertising for Children's Fast Food Meals. And that is largely what we're going to be talking about today, but this topic is near and dear to my heart because it violates children's innocence, I think. And so I am delighted to have you. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I like that line. It violates children's innocence. I like that. I think you hit it there. Well, you know, the children are so trusting. And mm-hmm. of course, your report mentions this, but I remember in my own work as a dietitian looking at this issue of childhood obesity, that children do not have the skill set required to be able to interpret food advertising or any advertising really what is it up to about 8 years old mm, right exactly that's when they when the analytic skills start to develop but still even through the teenage years you know kids are still really influential and they very much care about social influences and peer pressure so it's still not quite developed even in the teenage years yeah it's such a muddy area when mm-hmm. i was doing some work in media literacy The thing that really struck me the most was that I learned that we all think that we're immune to the effects of media. Even those of us who are trained to look at it, we think, okay, we've got this knowledge base, but really we're all vulnerable to Mm -hmm. the strategies that are used against us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean, marketing and advertising is so powerful too. There's so many techniques, including things from the field of psychology and behavioral analytics, so many techniques they use that make that marketing and advertising so effective. Right. Hey, I want to go back and just talk a little bit about your background, because I thought it was interesting that you, first you majored in statistics, but then you got your PhD in public health. And I wonder, how did you make that switch? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I started off, my bachelor's degree was in epidemiology. So that's somewhat like statistics within the public health arena. Sure. And then I found that I loved math and I loved statistics. So I got my master's doing that. And that enabled me to work as a statistician professionally, brought me out to San Diego, 
And it was in that situation where I met some researchers who were doing work on a clinical trial. It was a nutritional clinical trial among breast cancer survivors. And it just really, I'd always been a foodie. I love food. It's just part of who I am as a, as a person. And that, that trial just really struck me. And I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be involved more into it. And so then I went back to school and, and worked on that trial. So how did you get from the clinical scene to preventing childhood obesity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of my mentors, and I'll give a shout out, was John Pierce over in the uh, University of California in San Diego. He was just a fantastic mentor, and he led that trial. But he also had a really strong research portfolio looking at marketing within tobacco. And so looking at how tobacco companies market their products, especially to kids and to adolescents. And with my personal passion in food, that just really, I'm like, hey, you know, this is happening in food as well. Why can't we start to study it within that arena? Yeah. And I became interested in it because I was looking at the nutritional aspects of developing obesity, but there was this big elephant in the room. You know, I felt like as a dietitian, I was hitting my head against the wall, always recommending changes in diet and exercise. When media was having this profound influence in our food choices, and I felt like we really needed to dive more into that influence. So that's wonderful. So let's dive into your study because it really is so revealing. First of all, how much television do kids watch today? A lot. Well, I can say the average for, I focus mostly on on young kids, so preschool age children. Sure. They're averaging a couple hours a day. So it's between two to three hours a day, depending on what studies you look at. And actually, for the first time this past year, there's a study from Common Sense Media. For the first time, the majority of that media is coming from streaming videos as opposed to TV. It's still like a close 40% of each, but pretty interesting. Yeah. And then there's also the digital component that I know some of your research has looked at that as well. And so as we shift from looking at television, where there's a Mm -hmm. chance where a parent Mm -hmm. might be in the room to interject, there's more of this self-directed media exposure where the child is really alone with the marketer. Yeah. And the digital space, it's, it's really tricky because it is so advanced and it's targeted. There are some guidelines in terms of can you collect personal information on a child using a particular device, for example, but there are ways that these companies can look at patterns of use and try to figure out, oh, this is likely going to be this young child, so let's then hit this child with these particular ads for candy or cereal. Mm. Okay, so we're going to set the stage for this study. There are some knowns, and we've known these these facts for decades, that fast food is what we call obesogenic. In other words, the more fast food we eat, the more likely we are to gain extra fat. Mm-hmm. We're also more likely to be malnourished because it is such a highly processed food. It tends to be low in critical nutrients and high in calories. It's heavily marketed to young children in particular, But the regulation of that advertising is voluntary. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So in the United States, it's, you know, we're very much, we very much advocate as a society for First Amendment rights. And we don't regulate food marketing in this country. That is opposed to other nations that do have some type of federal or statutory marketing where they limit the marketing of food to kids. So we don't do that here at the federal level in the U.S. So instead, 
and actually to counter some type of uh, federal regulations, several companies have joined together, somewhat like a trade group, and developed their own organizations to try and self-regulate their own marketing to kids. So for this particular paper, this report, what we looked at is one of these trade groups is called the Children's Advertising Review Unit, or KRU. It's administered by the BBB program, so that's the Better Business Bureau. And for this particular organization, they say, okay, for any marketing to young kids, and so that's defined as kids under the age of 12, we have to make sure this marketing is not deceptive. And they have particular guidelines in their criteria for how they define uh, deception. But in terms of child-directed fast food marketing, that really hasn't been analyzed in depth in terms of is this marketing actually deceptive when it targets kids. So that's what we did with this report. And you concluded? Yeah, so we concluded it was. So what we looked at specifically was when companies, so, you know, when we think of fast food, we think of probably McDonald's, right? They have the Happy Meals. That's the most popular meal that's targeted to kids. And those meals are really well known for their premiums, their toys. So those are very effective. They capture kids' attention in the store, in the marketing, and that often drives a lot of visits to fast food restaurants. Kids want to get these toys and collect these premiums. So in these KRU guidelines, these self-regulatory guidelines, it says any company that markets to kids, if they're going to offer a premium, it has to be secondary to the primary object, in this case, the food. So anytime a toy or a movie tie-in is mentioned in the commercial or shown on screen, it's supposed to be second to the food. So we actually went through, we looked at an entire year of data for 2019, all child-directed fast food advertisements aired on TV, and we, we physically measured, we measured the on-screen size of some of these premiums and toys as compared to food. We measured how long these premiums and toys were on screen as compared to food. And then we also counted how many words in the audio transcript were dedicated to premiums and toys as opposed to food. And in each case, the premiums superseded the toys. They were more prominent, I'm sorry, than the food. They were more prominent than the food when on screen or when mentioned in the audio. So it was a clear, a clear way to say with data that they're violating their own pledge. Hmm. And who enforces these self-regulatory guidelines? Yeah, it's tricky. So it's a it's it's self-regulatory, as you mentioned. There's a group within the Better Business Bureaus where if there's a complaint, a complaint, excuse me, against a particular commercial or advertisement or piece of marketing, it can go to the BBB. There's a review to see if it violates their guidelines. If it does, there's a recommendation made to the company to either change the advertisement or stop the advertisement or there's no action, where they say the advertisement is fine. And that's usually it. If it's really egregious and the company doesn't change or take down the advertisement, it could be referred to the FTC. But I'm not sure if that has ever happened in terms of food, marketing of food. I actually don't know that. I wonder if the American Academy of Pediatrics, since the association published your data, if they wouldn't be the most powerful entity to get in touch with the FTC and say, look, this is a violation of the self-regulatory guidelines, and B, because we know of the harm of fast food on children's health, that they would like to see the regulations enforced. Yeah, I I think that is a great point, and that's part of the reason why 
we really wanted this to be published in the Journal of Pediatrics. We think that they do have, you know, they're very, they're advocates for child health yeah. and child rights, and I think that's a good position. I got to tell you, as a researcher, and especially, you know, as an NIH-funded researcher in this area, it's, we're often faced with this question of, well, if this is policy work, then, you know, maybe it shouldn't be done in this arena, right? And I disagree. Like, I think we need to keep showing that these potential negative effects exist for this child-directed marketing. So, for example, in this study, we're showing that these companies are violating their pledges. Why does it matter? Well, in other studies, we're showing that kids are paying attention to these commercials. They're noticing the premiums in the commercials, and that's driving the, the visits to fast food restaurants. And our work is also showing that the kids, when they are exposed to more food commercials, it does increase their risk for weight gain and obesity because they're eating these advertised foods. So it does have an effect on child health. Right. The other thing that I thought was so interesting was just how prevalent the exposure to the McDonald's Happy Meal advertising is. So, you know, I looked at the the summary that you have, and just for our listeners, you looked at television advertising from February 1st of 2019 to January 31st of 2020, and of the total ads aired, it's like, well, there were two for Arby's, there was one for Burger King, there was over 1,000 for Jimmy John's, and then there was 18,488 for McDonald's Happy Meals. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so what we did is we looked at commercials only aired on four network channels. So we looked at Nickelodeon, Nicktoons, Disney XD, and Cartoon Network, because our past research shows that these are the networks that air nearly all of the child-directed food commercials. So this is just on those kids' networks. And you mentioned several restaurants, and that's for all fast food. But if we look at just children's meals, it was they were all for McDonald's with the exception of one from Sonic. Right, <laughs> They're right. all for McDonald's. And part of the reason for that is because we mentioned these self-regulatory programs. There's another self-regulatory program called the CFBAI, so that's the Children's Food and Beverage Advertising Initiative. And as part of that program, these food companies have come together, I believe it's 18 companies now, saying that when they market to kids, it's the food or beverages are going to be of a certain nutritional quality. Whether or not that's true is a whole nother conversation. But also as part of that pledge, nearly all of the companies say they will not market directly to kids under the age of six. One company that hasn't done that is McDonald's. Wow. And so it's no surprise then that we see the overwhelming not overwhelming, the majority of these commercials are from McDonald's. Wow. Well, we need to take one break because we're halfway through. And I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Dr. Jennifer Emond. She is an assistant professor of biomedical data science and pediatrics, and she is located at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth College. So you touched on a couple of things that bear repeating. One is the nutritional quality of the foods that are advertised to children. You know, I've often thought if we're going to allow fast food to be advertised, that many of these companies should be forced to have like a PSA for foods like fresh from the garden or something, you know, sort of having that protection of advertising foods that are really good for kids. Because, you know, it's been a long time since I watched children's television 
But at the time, my kids are in their 30s now, but at the time, there weren't any ads for foods that we consider to be, you know, truly nourishing for their health today and, and to prevent chronic disease in the future. Yeah. I have a soon-to-be nine-year-old, and I can say <laughs> there's no advertisements for healthy foods. It's wild. It's really frustrating because, you know, these again, these companies, they have made some improvements in terms of this pledge to CFBAI where they say they're going to market healthier foods to kids. So they've made some progress over the past 10 years or so in what's considered healthy. But, you know, it's still, it's still self-regulated. It, when you compare it to external criteria for what's considered healthy or if it, you know, meets dietary recommendations, it's, it's still subpar. Yeah. This made me think, though, of another study that we worked on a couple years ago when, I don't know if you remember, I believe it, yeah, it was Burger King, they were marketing or including a side of apple slices with their kids' meal. Mm. But instead of putting, you know, just an apple or, like, sliced apples in a plastic container, they would cut them up to look like French fries oh. and put it in a French fry container. <laughs> oh. So when you see the commercial, and we had kids come into the lab and watch these commercials, and they, they told us what they thought, they just assumed they were French fries. They didn't know they were apples. So they have these little tricks, right, of how to promote healthier food. Right. Well, the other thing that you found was that among the four channels that you looked at, the advertisements were most common on Disney XD. And I wonder how effective it might be to who are we going, how are we going to change what we're seeing is my big question, right? So, okay, we can go to the Federal Trade Commission. We can go to McDonald's. We can go to the company that's advertising or accepting these ads like Disney. And would they be receptive to say, you know what, we can't accept these ads because they're in violation of the regulatory guidelines? It's really tricky. It's, I mean, this has been a battle that's been ongoing for several years, as you know, several decades. I mean, mm-hmm. back was it the early, gosh, I'm blanking, but there was an interagency working group. So it was made up of four or five different governmental agencies, including the FDA, CDC. And it was to create guidelines on how to make, part of it was to make a healthier landscape for food marketing to kids. And they had these guidelines of regulations and what could be marketed and what couldn't be marketed. And that just fell flat. It didn't go anywhere. There's just these companies have such a huge lobbying effort that it's it's really hard to fight against it. There are groups doing really good work. So Center for Science and the Public Interest, they do great advocacy work. They put out the word on social media. They can, you know, get people to get behind a, a movement and sign a petition to try and get this to Congress for some action. But once it gets there, it, it's tough. There's just so much lobbying by these companies. It's really challenging. Absolutely. And, you know, I recently did an interview with the executive director of a brand new nonprofit called Feed the Truth. And she actually had provided a chart looking at trade associations and how they have members, say, fast food industry, you know, soft drink, the American Beverage Association. But you don't see their name you see them or you know them only through a trade association that often has a rosy name and then they are huge influencers in Washington, D.C. So you're absolutely right about money really driving this. But when it comes to our children, you have to wonder, you know, is nothing sacred? 
I know. I, I agree with you. I, I agree. The other argument that frustrates me is when these companies or, you know, people with a company's interests in mind will say, well, it's the parents. Oh, choice. yes. It's the parents' decision. And as a mom, <laughs> that's so frustrating because these these advertisements, they're everywhere. This marketing is everywhere. It is powerful. It captures kids' attention. And then it's complemented by things you see in the store or things you see when you drive by a fast food restaurant, what's in the window. It's very powerful, and they know that, and they they create this marketing to wear parents down, right? You've, you've heard of this term, pester power, where mm-hmm. it just wears us down. So I don't think it's the parent's decision. I think it's, yeah, it's just not a level playing field. It's really not. Absolutely, and you are so right about feeling worn down, and especially during these times when there's been a shift in how we work and how school is seen and participated in, I think that our guard is down more because we just want to satisfy our kids, make them happy. We're under a lot of stress, so we're even more vulnerable to the influences of these advertisers. I was curious to know if McDonald's responded to your study. No, they haven't. Have they seen it? I... I believe they have. I cannot, I believe they have, yeah. (laughs) Well, you mentioned the Center for Science and the Public Interest. And years ago, Margot Wutan, who was Mm -hmm. head of their nutrition policy, she did a lot of really good work through social media, shaming Mm -hmm. these companies for taking Mm -hmm. advantage of kids. You also mentioned the campaign for commercial free childhood. And I see that you've worked with Josh Golan, who heads up that organization. This is a great way for parents to come together and find power, don't you think? Agreed. I agree. I really, really like the efforts they're making in terms of, I can't quite articulate it now, but like motivating, informing us as parents, you know, and motivating us to get behind an action that can hopefully make change. Yeah, I think they're a great organization. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned tobacco early on, and it's the same playbook, you know, the same tools of manipulation that are used against kids to get them to try tobacco. They're the same strategies that are used against kids. And I remember there was a a wonderful campaign. It was called the Truth Campaign. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? And it it empowered kids to respond yeah. to, you know, hey, kids, you're being taken advantage of and yeah. helping them. I feel like we need that kind of truth campaign with regard to fast food advertising as well. I agree. I think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> I agree. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that in my own work with media literacy education with kids, what the take-home message for me was that kids really don't like to know that they've been duped. And when they find out they have, they become advocates for their own community of peers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we have lots of work to do, but it's really important. Is there anything else that you want to bring forth from this study that you want our listeners to know? Well, let's see. I guess one thing I'd, I'd like to leave with is that, so the study we looked at advertisements on TV, this translates to the digital space, too. I mean, some of these ads were the exact same clips you see online. If you go to YouTube or some popular children's web pages, you'll see a pop-up ad with the same video. So it's relevant in the digital space. But I want to also stress that when kids are online, we can install, like, third-party software to block advertisements. 
and to block these websites from collecting cookies, for example, from us, so tracking us when we go online. So there are steps we can take to protect or to reduce how much marketing our kids are getting when they're online, um, which is helpful. And then in terms of traditional TV, my kid watches Netflix. We just don't have regular cable. The commercials just, I can't do it. I can't watch them. Mm -hmm. I think it's very smart. But for parents in low-income households who don't have access to some of the software or don't have Mm -hmm. access to alternative media, then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's the peer pressure, too, of what their friends are buying or wanting to have. I remember navigating that space as a parent myself, where my kids really, really wanted something that their other friends were having. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to put my foot down and say, I remember I used to tell my kids, you know, we're not going to go to fast food restaurants because I love you. It was as as simple as that. I love you. We're not going to do this. These are your choices. You can have, you know, something from that. But Mm -hmm. it's really, really tough. And I think because of, as you mentioned, the digital space, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being a parent of a young child right now and having to navigate the mobile videos that kids get, the computers. Yeah. Well, we've got just a couple minutes and I did want to bring forth something that I think is so important if we've got time. And that is some research that you did on the educational media. So you did a paper titled Unhealthy Food Marketing on Commercial Education Websites, Remote Learning and Gaps in Regulation. And I thought, boy, with COVID, with kids learning at home, maybe doing more of that, what can parents do to keep these spaces safe for their kids? Well, that... So, yeah, so that report is, it was motivated by my daughter doing her own remote schooling during the beginning of the pandemic, and she was looking at a particular website, ABC Yeah. So we were, she was doing some of the games, and there's ads that popped up. And so we saw ads for McDonald's, certain cereals. I think we saw a couple candies as well. And I was like, this is bananas. So for that situation, we got together, like you said, with members from Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, Center for Science and the Public Interest, and wrote a commentary, and that's the report that you're mentioning there. But additionally, the group, CSPI, they wrote to the food companies, McDonald's being one of them, saying, this is not right. These kids are relying on this software right now, especially during the pandemic, and we've seen these food advertisements. We'd like to bring this to your attention, and and can you please address it and stop doing this? And they did. They said they would stop marketing on those websites, at least for the end of the year. I can tell you I've been checking. I haven't seen them since on ABC yeah, or similar websites. So that was pretty cool. That was, you know, a positive that came out of it. That's great. But again, for those, and this also goes back to you were mentioning the financial constraints sometimes. So you can purchase a subscription to some of these websites for a fee, and they don't have ads. But again, you can get an ad blocker, and there's free versions. Um, the one I use, I'm looking it up, is Ghosterly, and you can install it, and it can stop the pop-up ads, and you can still use the game just fine. Wonderful, and I'll provide a link to that, too. Well, we've got to close. You've been a wonderful guest 
But I need to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jennifer Emond. She is an assistant professor of biomedical data science and pediatrics with the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth College. We've been talking about her latest article in pediatrics titled Promotion of Meal Premiums in Child-Directed TV Advertising for Children's Fast Food Meals. I'll provide a link to that article as well. Dr. Eamon, thank you so much for your time today. Yes, great. Thank you so much. This was fun. 